to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. for reading the scripture for us this morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Stephen. I'm the lead pastor here at City on the Hill. I want to welcome you again on this beautiful, chilly uh, November morning. So glad that you are here with us today. And if you are a guest, we just would uh, like to welcome you doubly and would ask that you would fill out a connection card so we could get to know you a little bit better. If you look in your seat, you'll find a connection card. You can also save a tree uh, by going to uh, coahforesthills.org slash connect and filling out the card there. Uh, and for doing so, we will give you that $5 gift card to Nebraska, as well as make a small donation to a uh, charity uh, from a list of your choice. Uh, and, and we just would love to get to know you and also know how we can serve you, how we can help connect you to what's going on here at City on a Hill, as well as uh, just uh, what's going on here in the city of Boston. Um, our values as a church are the gospel, community, and mission. The gospel is the good news that we were once far from God, um, that we once ran from God, we once rebelled from, uh, against God, and that through Jesus, we've been brought near to God, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, dying the death we deserved, paying for our sins, living a life we couldn't live and giving us that through faith in him. And so if you've not placed your faith in Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about how to do that this morning. Uh, secondly, community, we were made for relationships. God created us to need each other. And we believe the relationships centered around Jesus are where we grow and thrive the most. Uh, that's why we believe in the local church. That's why we believe in community groups where we gather each week to share God's word, love each other and serve our neighbors. And so we'd invite you into that as well. And then lastly, mission. Uh, the good news is good news for a reason, and good news is meant to be shared with other people. So we tell, live our lives to tell others about what Christ has done for us, as well as live life shaped by what Jesus has done for us for the good of our neighbors by loving and serving our city. A few announcements before we jump into the text today. Coming up on Wednesday, uh, November 24th, we are going to be serving Thanksgiving um, a Thanksgiving meal for English High School. So English High School is one of our st uh, strategic partners. Uh, we worked with their ESL program for the last couple of years. And this is a way for us to serve them uh, on Thanksgiving. So if you're available that day, it's in the day. I know work day is tough to serve sometimes, but if you're available that day, maybe you have some time off from work, um, jump in. Let's be a part of that. You can mark that on your connection card or just come see me after the service and we'll get you connected. Um, if you've been uh, coming to uh, City on a Hill for a little while and, been, and you're ready to take that next step or you want to learn more about who City on a Hill is, or maybe you're even ready to become a member, um, we'd love for you to come to our next Discover class, which is going to be on Saturday morning, December 4th. Um, and there will be uh, childcare if you're bringing kids with you. We'll serve you breakfast if that's not enough of a hook. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, spend some time together discussing what, who we are as a church, our distinctives, and then how you can take the next step uh, with City on a Hill. Uh, and then coming up December 18th, we're gonna be having a nine lessons and carol service. If you've never been a part of that, it is a very traditional service where we come together, we read scripture, we sing songs, uh, kind of Advent and Christmas songs. But we're gonna do kind of our own City on a Hill twist on that. Um, um, it's not going to be uh, classical music. It's going to be different. I uh, would invite you to be a part of that, but also invite you to bring friends to that. We are 
gearing this as something as an uh, of, as a way to do outreach into the community. Uh, it's been a tough year and a half, lots of loss, lots of suffering over the last year. And traditionally, uh, Nine Lessons and Carols has been a service um, that has meant to uh, meet those who uh, have lost people in the last year and to remember those folks with a, 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 an eye towards Christ returning and making all things new. So would love for you to be a part of that. That's gonna be that evening on December 18th. Um, and then just a couple of personal announcements about the, uh, about what's going on at City on a Hill. Uh, just continue to pray for uh, for the Bradfords. You know, Matt and Elijah here this morning. Tina had emergency surgery last Friday on a pulmonary embolism. Um, is is back home? Yes, Matt, back home um, and, and resting. Um, praise God that she's safe. The church has, has stepped up and loved and served and cared for them. So there are definitely ways that you can continue to do that. We will continue to need that. Um, also, David and Naomi Lewis had their son Reuben uh, yesterday, Friday, one of, Friday, one of those days. This weekend, uh, they had their son Reuben, um, and so we're so excited for them. And then we also continue to pray for the Greenwalls, who just a couple of weeks ago had Simon. So there's lots of things going on in our church, lots of life, lots of need, lots of people who are out uh, because of those things. And so be sure to, uh, there are ways to to serve those folks. So be sure to step in and do that. And if you're not uh, connected on our Slack thread, be sure to mark Slack on that connection card, and we'll get you connected there. That's where a lot of those those care needs are are made known. Uh, well, I'm glad to be back with you this morning. Uh, thank you, Matt Harris, for preaching last week, doing an incredible incredible job wrapping up Ephesians chapter two, uh, looking at the type of people God is calling us to be together. I was down in Alabama. Um, it, was, it, was not, it was actually just as warm there as it was here. I kind of missed that. I got some nice fall weather in uh, New England, uh, but spent, spent some time with one of our mission partners. So as a, as a church plant, we're a very new church. We are dependent upon the giving of other churches who support us and believe in what God's doing here in Boston. And so they support us financially. They send teams every once in a while to help us do some work in the city. And so every once in a while, I have to go back and, and share what God's been doing. Uh, I got to spend some time with some missionaries from all over uh, Europe and Asia. And I've, I always find it kind of interesting the way that people communicate uh, depending on where they're from. So if you have an issue with someone in the South, you kind of give them the compliment sandwich, right? There's a compliment, the issue, and then another compliment. Uh, you want to make that a little more palatable. In New England, we just tell people, if you've got an issue, you just tell them what's going on. Um, but also even how we tell stories sometimes is different depending on where you're from. Some people, it is, you, when you tell a story, it is bare bones. It is the facts. Words are a premium. You're one of those people who remember the days when you were charged 10 cents per text message. So you want to make sure you got all, all your information in very quickly. Um, other people, we tend to rabbit trail, right? It's like we're telling a story and it's like squirrel. And like we get distracted in the story and we start talking about our mom. And we start talking about all these different things that happen that have nothing to do with the story. The apostle Paul is a little bit like the latter. Sometimes Paul is going one direction and then he changes gears and, and goes somewhere completely different. Um, Paul in chapter three starts this new thought, this new idea, and then he takes a pretty sharp detour for about 12 verses. And so this is actually the second long run-on sentence in the book of Ephesians. He, for you grammar nerds, he does this a few times where he'll just go off on an idea for, a long, for like 12 verses. And so in verse one, he starts in one direction. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on the behalf of, your, of you Gentiles. And so for this reason, reason, he's kind of recapping um, and reminding them of what happened in chapter one and chapter two, the blessings of God that come through Christ. Chapter two, as we've been unpacking the last couple of weeks, that you were once dead in your sin. Now you're alive in Christ. You, you couldn't be a good enough person. You needed Jesus to save you by his grace. Verses 11 through 22, the people that God is calling together from every tribe, tongue, and nation, Jew and Gentile, have an equal access to God. For this reason, remember that. And he's beginning to make the turn, the turn from the vision of who we are as God's people to how we get to this, how, how do we live this out? 
He's beginning to make this turn from the what to the how. And he's saying, because of this glorious grace, because of what God has done to bring together his people, to bring together his church, to do something that only could be done through the power of Jesus Christ. He's saying, because of this, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is such a good thing. I've given my life to it. And you can tell that he's about to launch into, into prayer. And we actually see this in verse 14. He re, kind of picks his idea back up, but something stops Paul in his tracks. And in fact, if you look in your Bible, it may be represented after verse one with a long dash. That wouldn't have been there in the original Greek, but we put that in there in the Bible translators to indicate that Paul has shifted gears. There's this long dash and he goes into this, into this aside about his calling to preach the gospel. And I love this because it shows the humanity of the Bible. It shows that the Bible was written by real living human beings who had personalities and had a background and has a style of writing. And if you look at the different biblical writers, you can see their personality shine through the text. Now, look, we believe the Bible is authoritative. We believe it's God-breathed. We believe that um, it is without error in, in the way that it is written. We see this personality and Paul is a bit of a rambler. He's a, he's a bit of a, of, of a wordy guy. He had something that he had to say. He was gonna pick up with prayer in verse 14 and we're gonna cover that next week and talk about uh, prayer as a principle for how God builds his church and helps us become who we're gonna become. But there's a reason that Paul gives, gives this 12 verse aside. And, and some have said that this is because he was attesting to his authority. You see this sometimes in the scriptures where, where Paul in his letters would write to a church and he would have the need to tell them who he was. Like put some respect on my name is kind of what he was saying. And sometimes he had to do that. He had to give some weight to what he was teaching, but not here. Paul never had to do that with the Ephesians. He's actually being pastoral. Paul's being a good pastor. And, and what he's doing is he's actually anticipating some objections that he could almost sense that they were going to have. Paul, as a very gifted writer, a very gifted speaker, understood his congregation. There are times as I'm preparing a sermon, I'm not just exegeting or, or trying to figure out what the text means. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about the, the, the struggles you've had this week, the, the areas of, of unbelief, the, the places where you're having a hard time believing the gospel and thinking, how does God bring good news to that? Paul as a good pastor is doing that very thing and he understands the objections that they're gonna have because Paul is writing this from a prison cell. He's writing this from a prison cell. He's sitting in a Roman jail and it probably seems like the least victorious position that he could possibly be in. And he imagines in his mind that the Ephesians are probably thinking, um, Paul, you're in prison. Why should we have hope if this is what happened to you for preaching the gospel? What's gonna to happen to us for believing the gospel? See, Paul wanted them to see what true victory looked like in the face of suffering, that God does not call us to an easy life. Following Jesus does not free us from trials and tribulation and suffering, but it gives us purpose with a God-centered life. See, ancient people are not that different from us. The ancient people believe that their circumstances determine the favor that they receive from the gods. So often at times ancient people would believe that if um, their crops grew, that the gods were, were for them, or if their children were born without deformity, that they were doing everything right. Well, in the same way, we do the exact same thing because we believe that a life that is free of drama a life that's free of stress, a life that's free of problems, a life of free, that's free of suffering means that God is favoring us. 
And oftentimes when those things don't go the way we want and life doesn't turn out how we hope, we doubt that God loves us. See, Paul so badly wanted them to step into their new identity as the church so that they could understand that when trials come, they could face them with joy. And this is a good word for us here today, not just as individuals, but as a church. Look, planting a church is hard work. You're stepping into a very difficult task, trying to establish a new expression of a local body in a place. And listen, we got to sacrifice sometimes. It's hard work. Sometimes we'll play music you don't like. So this morning, there was probably, I guarantee you, there was probably one song you liked and one song you didn't. Maybe you didn't like either. Maybe you love both. That's okay. Um, there is going to be times where you look across the room and see, man, I don't see a lot of people who look like me. I, I, don't, I don't see a lot of people who have the same personality as me. We forget sometimes when we go to an established church that we're building off the history that other people have done of the hard work of of pointing towards the joy that could be had in Christ. And we have to be reminded of our calling to follow Jesus and to establish his church to help us be encouraged for what God has set before us. When we face the trials of life, we need to be encouraged that God has called us to a greater joy in him that is not determined by our life's circumstances. And so this morning, Paul wants us to be encouraged. And we're gonna see this two ways. Firstly, we need to be encouraged because your calling is worth it. What we are called to as God's people is absolutely worth it. Paul encourages the Ephesians by reminding them of how he was called to the ministry. In verse two, we see Paul's aside begin to start. It says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. That kind of sounds like an if. It's like, well, you know, if you've heard this, it's really the idea of on the basis of, on the assumption of the fact that you have heard of my calling, I want you to be encouraged. I don't want you just to be encouraged because you heard the gospel, but I want you to be encouraged because, you, because of who you heard it from, because you heard it from me, because they had heard it from Paul. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's probably someone in your life that you can point to who was impactful on your faith. Someone you can look to who discipled you. Someone's teaching that you sat under. Someone's example that you watched and you looked at and said, I want, if that's what following Jesus looks like, I wanna be a part of that. All of us have that. But this is even to a greater degree that the messenger mattered as much as the message. And it shows the uniqueness of the calling that Paul had, that, that he was given the stewardship of God's grace that was given to him for you or for the Ephesian people. Paul was especially called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And we see this in the book of Acts that he was set aside for this specific task to take the gospel to people who did not yet know Christ. This is why in Romans chapter 15, he said that he made it his ambition to take the gospel and plant the flag of Jesus where it had not yet been planted. He saw this as his stewardship, something that he had been given, a ministry that was put in his hands that he was to take and and take on that opportunity and invest in it and make it better for the good of other people. And he says, I did this for you, that this is more than just a personal relationship with Jesus. It's more than just I preached and you believe. But in verse three, it says that the, the stewardship was the mystery, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. This mystery was made known to Paul. He had written to them about it. And we see this at the end of chapter two, that God is calling people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation to himself, that both Jew and Gentile can come into one family, one way to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That this was a mystery that was once not known, but is now known through Paul's preaching. 
And he says in verse four, he says, when you read this, when you read this letter and you read of this hope and you read of this, this good news, he says, he says, I'm inviting you to see a glimpse of what God has given me, the vision that God has given me. And I want you to, to grasp this. I want you to, to see this. I want you to experience just how beautiful and true and good this gospel is because Paul has said, I've seen it. I've, I've seen how good this can be and I want you to experience it too. I feel like half my conversations these days are talking to people about and trying to convince them of watching a show on Netflix, right? It's like, oh man, because we've been stuck inside forever. It's like, man, you should watch Ted Lasso. That show's awesome. Or you're like, whatever it is, we, we, we try to evangelize people into these shows that we want to watch. And maybe you're not a Netflix person, but maybe you love music. Maybe there's some sort of music that someone's never heard. And you're like, man, I, I really think you need to hear this. Or there's a type of food. You've gone to a new restaurant and you're like, I really think you need to try this restaurant. We do this because we want them to have the same experience. We want them to have the same feeling. We want them to be moved in the same way and taste and see what we've tasted and seen. And throughout the Bible, we see the story of God constantly pursuing his people and these biblical writers and these biblical prophets telling of what they have seen of God's goodness and calling other people and inviting other people to enjoy this goodness. This is why in Psalm 34, it says, "'O taste and see that the Lord is good.'" Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That is written by David who'd experienced the goodness of God. That's written by a man who had taken refuge in God when he was in trouble. But the way that Paul's ministry played itself out was unique in the way that it was revealed to Paul. In verse three, it says it was revealed to him by revelation. It wasn't revealed by um, him just discovering it. And in verse five, it says that he was revealed to him, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. In other words, it's not that that God did not say that the Gentiles were gonna be saved, but how they were gonna be saved and the scope of that salvation had not been revealed. It was only revealed by revelation to Paul. So we're gonna dig a little deeper into the Old Testament here. Uh, The Gentiles, in other words, those who are not Jewish could be saved in the Old Testament. And, And the way that they would do so was by identifying with the nation of Israel, by identifying with the Hebrew people and and trusting and worshiping their God. And we see several examples of this where people who were not Jewish were invited into the nation of Israel. We see this with Ruth. We see this with Rahab. We see this with people who came out of Egypt with the the Hebrew people who were grafted into this family by by becoming, uh, basically becoming Jewish. We see this promise in uh, in Genesis chapter 12, where we see uh, God's intentions through Abraham was that this, uh, this nation would be a blessing to all nations. We see this in 1 Kings chapter 8, uh, verses 41 through 43. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm when he comes and prays towards this house. Hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. The command was clear. The idea was clear that every tribe, every tongue, every nation would eventually worship the God of heaven, but the extent of that and how it would happen was not clear. And so the Jews took this idea toward the Gentiles and said, well, if you really want to be a part of God's people, you need to be like us. Not inwardly, not not a Jew inwardly, but outwardly. 
You need to take on our customs. You need to follow our rules. You need to take on circumcision. You need to eat a certain way. No more pork. Like you can't do any of that stuff. But they always treated Gentiles who came into that family like they were second-class citizens because they missed that God was always after the heart. And in the same way, we could be tempted to do the same thing today because we often think that getting right with God is showing up to church on a Sunday morning. It's doing churchy activities, doing churchy things. It's about following a certain set of rules instead of our hearts being changed radically by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why in verse five, we see that that this was revealed uh, not to those of old, but revealed through the prophets and through the holy apostles by the spirit, that this, this gospel was revealed to them, that the spirit used the apostles and set these people aside to speak and write authoritatively is how we get the New Testament. We're gonna talk about that in a couple of weeks. And they were, they were given this, this gospel, this mystery that we see unpacked in verse six, that God would make a way for anyone who would want to come to him to be saved, to be fully included, to be truly loved and known. And we see that those who come to Jesus are in verse six, fellow heirs, They're of the same body and they are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Meaning that in Christ, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you have all the same rights. If we go back to chapter two, verse 14, we see that we we have been made one and the, 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 um, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. You no longer enter through the law. It's the same body. We're in new people. We're partakers of the same gospel, the same promises, the same grace that you've been invited into this new family, not through believing the law, not through a better set of morals, not through taking on a cultural identity, but through Christ Jesus, through the gospel simply by placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Simply by placing your hope in him, by surrendering surrendering your life to Jesus. And he is willing to give this to anyone who will receive it. So why does Paul take the time to remind them of not only his calling, but of the gospel itself? He's saying that when you endure suffering for this, it's worth it. This is good news and it's such good news that everything you could possibly face, everything that could possibly happen to me is okay because this good news is mine and this good news is yours and I'm willing to suffer for it. Notice Paul in the uh, verse one, he's sitting in a prison and he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome or I'm a prisoner of Caesar. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus because he saw the suffering that he was facing was meant to give God glory and was meant for others joy. Romans chapter five, verses three through five says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love is important to our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Often when we feel discouraged, when suffering comes into our lives, it can actually reveal that our greatest hope is not in God, but in what God gives us. When our faith is shaken, it might be that we are seeing God as a means to an end. Because if Paul was seeing God as a means to a lucrative career, as a means to an easy life, as a means to a life where he would not face any struggles or suffering, he would begin to doubt God. 
What we often find is that our highest good, what we want the most is not God, but what God can provide. So when our safety or our security or our relationship or an opportunity gets taken away or shaken or threatened, we begin to doubt that God loves us or cares for us. And what Paul is saying is that when we understand the gospel, we understand what we have been called to, it puts all of this in perspective. Because we're not promised an easy life. In fact, in 2 Timothy, Timothy, who was the pastor of the Ephesian church later, was told, if you're gonna follow Jesus, expect to suffer. Expect to suffer for the name of Christ. But what suffering does when we remember our calling is that Jesus suffered for us too and that he suffers with us when we suffer to show us that he is our greatest joy. And so what that means is that when we suffer loss, when we miss out on a promotion, when we miss out on opportunities, when we miss up on upward mobility or our reputation gets threatened, it's okay because Jesus is worth it. And that's why in verse 13, Paul says, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart because this is for you, for what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul was willing to suffer for the glory of another. Are we as Christians willing to suffer and sacrifice for the sake of other people. We often think of church as the place where we go to get our spiritual needs met and we hope that that happens. But what if God is using you through the church for the sake of another person? What, what if God is calling you to, to stay in a city like Boston, even though it's more expensive, even though it's hard, some of you like are allergic to cold weather, even though it's cold? You know, what, what if God is calling you to do? What if he's calling you to step into that for the sake of another person's joy? And I think what you'll find is as you do that, God grows you most when you're looking out for other people's joy first and not your own. This call is not just for Paul. This, this call is extended to us. So Paul wants us to be encouraged as you live out your calling. He encourages us as we live out this calling. And so Paul understood in verse seven that this mystery that he'd been given, the gospel of Jesus Christ for all people, and the proclamation of that mystery were intrinsically linked together. That You could not separate the, the message from the messenger. You could not separate the mystery from the ministry. And so in verse seven, he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. Now we need to understand that Paul was the least likely candidate to be this person called to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Guy was a felon. He had a record. He was, he had a, he was a violent persecutor of the church and he hunted down Christians. And I don't say this for, for dramatic effect or shock value, but this is the equivalency of a white supremacist becoming a racial justice advocate. This is the equivalence of a terrorist being changed in the heart and going and advocating for those whom he terrorized. The very people that Paul once sought out to kill are the people that God sought to bring to faith through Paul. Paul's life was radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, and this is very human, you look, there was reticence on the part of Christians in the New Testament to accept Paul at first. It took him several years to gain the trust of those who he, whom he had persecuted. But God radically changed his life because God reached down and ripped this man out of his sinful life. He reached down and he ripped this man out of his hatred, out of his prejudice and radically changed him. How? Because verse seven tells us that it was according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. See, every Christian should proclaim the gospel because every Christian has received the gospel. 
We've received the grace that we tell others about. And Paul got this because in verse eight, he says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. Paul's not being, this isn't false humility. Paul's not saying, you know, I made a few bad decisions. I'm, you know, I'm not the best guy. I'm not the best husband. I'm not the best this. I'm not the best that. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. He doesn't sugarcoat at all. What he's saying is he's saying, I am a sinner. In fact, I'm the worst of, the sin, of sinners. Think of every Christian that you know. He's saying, I'm the worst. I was hopeless. I was undeserving. And that God would not only save Paul, but entrust him with the message of the gospel is astonishing. And it astonished Paul. And he preached this astonishing grace that he had received. And he was, he was so astonished by it that he was compelled to preach that grace that he had found to be the unsearchable riches of Christ. The word unsearchable has two senses. The first sense is that it was beyond human comprehension. It was simply unbelievable. As I'm sharing the gospel with people, sometimes I will talk about Jesus and what he's done. And they'll think about the idea that you can only, become a, you can only come to God through Jesus and that it's just as simple as placing your faith in him. And that if you don't believe in him, you don't have a relationship with God. And I've had, I've had people look at me and say, that, I can't believe that. That's unfathomable. That's unbelievable. I cannot believe that. And in fact, at one point, Paul was there and he even believed that salvation through Jesus alone was repugnant. But on that Damascus road, as Paul is on the way to persecute Christians, God steps down and the Holy Spirit opens Paul's eyes to see Jesus face to face. That Paul could see what reasoning was never going to get him. He could see what intellectual questions would never answer. His eyes were opened to believe. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when you see the face of Christ, you are able to believe the unbelievable. Your heart is broken to believe that. And maybe it's you this morning. Maybe you're coming in here and you're, you're skeptical, you're curious, you're trying to consider this. And this idea of Jesus just seems unbelievable. I pray right now that the spirit is working on your heart to open your eyes, to see the great love of Jesus, that you would come face to face with him. The second sense is that, that it's, un, it's unsearchable because it's beyond description. What he's saying is that this gospel is so beautiful, I can't even put it into words. Some of you, I'm jealous of your ability to take pictures. Um, I look at your Instagram and I'm like, man, they are so good at this. You understand the rule of thirds and all that stuff. I just kind of like pick the camera up and do this. And I wish I was better at it. And I feel like I took a pretty good picture of our time in Maine a couple weeks ago. We got this beautiful picture of, of the rocks and this picture of, of the ocean. And we're watching this from our hotel in the middle of a nor'easter. And it, 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 there, I cannot describe how beautiful this scene was. The, the, the sky is gray, the wind is howling, the rain's coming down, the ocean is roaring. And, and I'm, I'm watching this and I can describe this to you in words. I can even show you the picture. And if you gave me enough time, I could describe every little detail of every little rock and every little spray of, of, of mist and every drop of rain and every bit of fauna if you would give me the time. But what I hope is that some days you would get to see it too. I hope that you would hear the story of how beautiful that is and you'd wanna make it your own. And that's what Paul is saying when he says that these riches are unsearchable is he's trying to describe them in such a way that his hearers would listen and say, I want that too. 
I want what you've seen. I want what you've experienced. I want what you've seen to be beautiful. And this is why in verse nine, he says that, that he's doing this to bring the light for everyone. What is the plan of mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? He's saying, there are so many people who don't know and I want them to know. That is why we planted a church in Boston is that there are people here who do not know Jesus and we want them to know. There are people who, if they were to die today, would be separated from God for eternity. And see, something happens when you see your own need for Jesus. You see what he's done for you and you understand that others need it too as you go. John Stott says, once we are assured that the gospel is both true from God and riches for mankind, nobody will be able to silence us. We've been given the good news of the gospel. We've been called to share it with other people. Just this past week, I got to spend time with missionaries from, from around the world. And, and what's been happening in the modern mission movement over the last couple of hundred years has been pretty amazing. And what's really beautiful, and I actually think this is an apologetic for Christianity, is that Christianity is not localized. It's not culturalized. It is a God, it's a message, it's a religion that transcends culture. And in fact, it's a message that the center of that culture has moved around the world. At one point, the center of it was in the Middle East, it was in Africa, it was in Europe, it's been in the United States. And now we've seen that center actually shift away from the United States toward places like Asia and back into Africa. And what was incredible is I was talking to this group of missionaries as we were talking about the need around the world and how the gospel is just going forward and going forward into places where Jesus is not yet known. It was just, this is just from the International Mission Board, just one wing of international missions. The International Mission Board right now has 3,635 total personnel in the world working in 247 urban centers. Over the last year, there've been over 144,000 new believers, almost 21,000 pastors who've received training, over 51,000 men and women who've received advanced theological training, over, over 18,000 new churches formed, over almost 12,000 people groups who have been reached. But here was the shocking part of this. Right now, there are 3,105 unengaged, unreached people groups around the world. Places that have had no access to the gospel, places that have had no one willing to go. And there are people who are constantly being sent to go because we have received good news. And what was actually incredible as I was listening to this, as these IMB missionaries were describing this, they said, you know, Christianity is, you know, supposedly um, declining in the West. It's not around the world. In China, in Africa, the gospel is exploding. The, the church is growing faster in China than it is anywhere in the world. And what's begun to happen after over a century of emphasis in the 1040 window and in the global South, as the gospel has gone toward China, you know what's starting to happen? The gospel's coming back because those who've heard the gospel have been sent with the gospel. And it's so beautiful to watch this that those who've received it go and tell it. So these Chinese Christians who've been raised up, who've been discipled are now going back into the Middle East. They're going back into Europe. They have an open door in Pakistan that they don't even need a passport to enter into Pakistan and are sharing the gospel, planting churches, making disciples. It's a beautiful picture of our calling and it has always been the calling of the local church. Paul is telling and calling for the local church to step into our calling. And this is why in verse 10, it says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known, not through Paul, not through a super missionary, not, not through the most gifted, but through the local church living out, de de declaring and demonstrating the hope of Jesus. 
the manifold wisdom of God. That's a beautiful phrase there. It means the variety of God's wisdom in the sense is the multicolored, multicultural wisdom of God, like a kaleidoscope, a tapestry of grace, a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation showing that God is powerful enough to do what only God can do by calling these people together. And I want you to notice that it's not just going to the world. Notice who they are, they are, um, the, the, the church is making this wisdom known to. It's the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. It's not just here on earth, it's in heaven. The angels who did not have, were not able to look into this mystery, but are now seeing the grand reveal or rejoicing at what God is doing through the church. And also evil forces like Satan and demons who are like the losing team in a blowout football game having to watch as the other team just continues to run up the score because they cannot stop what God is doing. As we close, I want us to really be encouraged by what Paul is calling us to do. And I think there are three ways that we can step into this as a local church. As a, as a new church plant, we need to be people who celebrate God's grace with people who are different than us. When we think about what God is doing in this, in this church, he's calling people together who maybe naturally wouldn't be friends, who naturally wouldn't spend time together, who don't, didn't grow up in the same place and eat, eat the same foods. God is calling us together. What would it look like for us to celebrate the common hope we have in Jesus together? Secondly, is to display the gospel through a changed life. Verse 12 talks about the access that we have in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We have access to God. And when we stand before God, he changes us. We look to God again and again as we repent and believe the gospel. He shapes us into the people that he wants us to be. What is God trying to do in you as we display this to the world. And then lastly, that we declare the gospel to those who don't know yet. If you're a follower of Jesus, who in your life does not yet know him? Neighbor, friend, family member, how can you share about the hope that you've received? So what is, what is your next step? Maybe this morning for you, you need to, be, to receive the invitation that Jesus gives to have a new life with him. Maybe you need to surrender your life to Jesus. You need to give your life to him and trust in what Jesus did for you by dying on the cross for your sins. And that the hope of, the, of Jesus, the hope of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins being brought into a new family comes through placing your faith in him. I'd love to talk with you about that after the service and, and help you uh, pray for you to receive Christ. Maybe you need to take the next step by committing to the local church. Maybe you've been hovering around for a while and you wanna discover what it looks like to be a part of a local church. That Discover class on 12.4 would be a great thing for you to look at. We get to live this out together to the glory of God for our common joy and for this good news to go to the end of the world. Let's pray.